Career podcast series featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries. Here, we explore various approaches to craft and career, and even consider how those two can sometimes work together. I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy. It's great to be back, and I'm excited to introduce our first guest of the spring season. Rob Ronan is a content designer who has worked for over 20 years in digital writing and user experience design. He currently works for the Reality Labs at Meta, which focuses on emerging technology in virtual reality, augmented reality, and the future of work. Before that, Rob worked for 15 years as a UX writer for the Walt Disney Company theme park, resort and cruise websites, and apps, including creating digital content for Star Wars, Galaxy's Edge and Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. He's a Yale College graduate with a bachelor's degree in film studies. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Thank you. It's good to be here. So this is the Craft and Career podcast. It's a little bit different. It's a space where we try to join, you know, these these seemingly disparate uh, commodities, which, you know, one on the side of the professional engagement and one on the side of the creative engagement. They're valued and they're valued in different ways. And you have such an interesting background in terms of the mix of those two things and and knowing you and knowing your background as, as a writer, some of the engagements that you've had on the professional side. Let's try to, to define that down to what, what is the difference between those two things. So when I, when I use a word like career, what does that bring to mind for you? Money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess career. Well, I mean, that's obviously a little flippant, but, you know, I think careers could be the overall objective or the overall arc of what you're doing, um, how one skill set and one position leads to another Paychecks are obviously a big part of your career because you can't always do what you love, nor maybe should you. So I would say, me, that's what I think about as career. If someone said, tell me about your career, I'd be like, I work for these four companies. Um, this is the arc I tell myself in terms of how I've applied my skills and my education towards those things. Okay. You know, you know, eventually I'll retire and that'll be the story I tell of my working life. Perfect. Right. And, and, and the working life that has paid the bills being an yes. important element of it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So craft and then career. Mm-hmm. So the craft side, mm-hmm. wondering how you differentiate or, and, and, and actually we should probably even define that term, right? Sure. I, I use it loosely. Every mm-hmm. guest has a little bit different take on what we even mean by craft, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, let's, let's spike it in the direction of it's something to do with, with your practice, with your creative practice. How do you differentiate the two and how do you feel about the, the craft side in, in response or in conversation with your career side? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say craft for me, I would define my primary craft as writing. I mean, there's a lot of subsets that you could put under that in terms of thinking and critical thinking and even like data analysis, I think is a part of, uh, which is not a big part of what I've done professionally, of what writing is and can be. But, you know, on the very specific level, it's like grammar, spelling. (laughs) Uh, uh, On a little bit broader level, it's like effective communication I think as I get more and more into my career, especially as a user experience professional, I think more about information, right? It's not just about those commas and those periods and em dashes, which 
is one of the big pluses I've gained in my career is an effective use of an M dash versus a semicolon. <laughs> those are all important, but those are like tactics of your your craft. The overall thing, you know, as you start to get more experienced and have those hundred thousand reps, whatever you know the scene is from uh, the guy whose name I cannot remember right now, Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. You start to ask the bigger questions, like how am I communicating effectively? What response am I trying to get from people? Um, and I think that that part of craft applies to the writing I've done personally and in terms of, you know, the, the film writing I've done. And, you know, I wrote a novel uh, about Yale and all of those things are the part of the craft, which I apply to the career, but I also apply to other things. You know, when I'm writing a consumer support email, we just had our, our dog's GPS tracker wasn't uh, functioning properly. So I used part of my craft in those, you know, because <laughs> like, I can't turn it off. Right. So right. I will do like three drafts of that email, even though it's not important. Um, <laughs> it is important, uh, you know, from a financial perspective, certainly when I'm applying that craft towards my career, which is, you know, content design or your experience writing, copywriting, whatever you want to call it, crafting words professionally. So if we isolate one subset of your craft as being the, the part that's just pure craftiness, mm -hmm. right? Like the, that's decoupled from the paycheck and, 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 and those other concerns and rather a regular practice of staying creative. Mm -hmm. What does that look like for you in the mix of you know, the, the, the bigger career and, and, and how do you keep coming back to that, that the, the pure kind of creative craftiness in, in the mix of, of the other logistical concerns about life and ladders and, mm -hmm. and, and moving up and all those sorts of things. Sure. It's, it's a, it's a challenge. I'm, I'm not someone who's like really career focused. I probably could stand to be a little more. So what I really enjoy is when I can apply the craft so I tend to get really into the weeds about any project. Like I was, you know, saying about even writing an email in my personal life, I try and apply a heavy degree of craft. And when I'm doing writing for like a personal project, I put my whole heart and soul in it. I still do when I'm doing something from a career focus. So, because uh, I just can't turn that off. But I would say like, I've tried to apply it like a little less in terms of my emotional commitment to that work. Stepping back and being like, look, I'm doing this for this purpose. This person asked me to do it. I don't have complete control over it. So I'm going to apply all of my craft skills that I can, but maybe put, this sounds negative, but it kind of is positive. I'm going to put a little less of my heart in it. Hmm. I'm going to put my mind into it. I'm really going to focus on making sure this task is as good as I, it is. But if it if I don't succeed, especially in that first draft, and I get feedback, what I should do is take that analytically and not emotionally, which is really hard for me because like that's one of the things I love about writing is like pouring out your heart and soul into it. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you're doing something which is purely transactional for a business purpose, that's not always the best way to approach it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, as it, even though it, it perhaps it's a it's a renewable resource, it still isn't a, a resource to be squandered. <laughs> right, in terms of well, using it at every turn, right? Yeah. Well, I just watched you know the TV show Willow, and he only has a finite amount of magic that mm -hmm. he has to conserve. I don't know that it's, I necessarily think 
like that. <laughs> but I think of it more in terms of what's going to give me the best result for that scenario. So I really do feel like when I'm writing, you know, the most personal thing I probably ever wrote was that that novel about Yale. And to me, that was a very personal experience. That's something I care deeply. It's a huge part of my experience and my identity. So I really, and the point of that was to hopefully connect with people emotionally versus the stuff I do for work. I don't think that you get the best results if you necessarily apply it that way. Um, maybe, and I'm not great at this, but maybe it's like you pour your whole heart and soul in it in the first draft, and then you learn to turn it off. And that's really difficult. And it's not like a switch you can just do 100%. Because sometimes, you know, time spent on something, if I spend 60 hours working on, you know, some language or, or, or you know, some pieces of copy, and then that project gets canceled, or the person who is reviewing it really doesn't like it, it's difficult. And it's not just about my emotional pain, but it's about, well, let's get to that next step because I'm trying to have an influence or an impact and I'm trying to deliver a good quality product. So I would say that a lot of the more career-focused stuff that I've worked on as a user experience person, it's less important than it is for the personal stuff that I've been writing. Right. So it's almost that you're you're protecting your personal investment and differentiating between the personal investment, the true, the true soul work, right, uh, yeah. versus important and 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 creative and 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 all, all all those things, but not something that you need to you need to spend those hit points. <laughs> um, yes. You know, uh, and, yeah, yeah, or mana points, whatever mana game points. you're playing. I don't know what Willow has in particular. You <laughs> start using magic quite a bit in later in the the series, so uh, not to turn this into a Willow fan cast. <laughs> But, you know, fiction has real world parallels. And I think that that is an actual one, which is not just an excuse to talk about Warwick Davis's latest uh, fantasy <laughs> enterprise. Whoever needs an excuse for that. I mean, it's, it's always there. So so thinking in terms of what keeps you, what keeps your heart and your soul fed, mm -hmm. right? Like what's what's inspiring you nowadays? Like what are you seeing, reading, watching, engaging with? That uh, particularly on that kind of the personal craft side, like mm -hmm. the, the stuff, the, the projects that mean a whole lot to you. Um, yeah. What what kind of things are kind of you're in conversation with that are mm -hmm. that are helping to keep you keep you um, fed up? I'm going to answer your question, but it's going to take a long way to get there. <laughs> the, the, the truth is, like recently, like I think a lot of people, I've become way too addicted to social media and online stuff. I have a iPad that, you know, I, when I'm not working and sometimes even when I am working and I need to dive into something more in depth, I just hold in front of my face for hours at a time, clicking from article to article that I have queued up in the past and will never finish. So what those are, are primarily news. And like I say, just kind of social media stuff, sports, entertainment, and of course, technology. So those are like my main interest in terms of like, I mean, the honest answer is like, that's 90% of what I read. Things that, you know, I engage with outside of that, like the last two books I read, which are very kind of digressive, but one is appropriate, I think, to both parts of your earlier questioning, which is I read The Undoing Project uh, by Michael Lewis, which is a kind of biography of two psychologists who did research into, and can, one continues to do research into decision-making and, and cognitive bias. 
that was a fascinating book, both from, you know, kind of humanities perspective, but also it has very direct implications for user experience and how people make decisions. So I really enjoy like reading stuff like that and thinking about it, engaging it. The book I read after that was about puppy training. <laughs> you have a, a rescue Siberian Husky. And I mean, honestly, there is some overlap there in terms of, you know, understanding dog psychology and how they make decisions and how you make decisions around them. Another great book that I read before then, which I recommend to everyone, is Detox Your Thoughts by Dr. Andrea Bonnier, who is one of my classmates in uh, Jonathan Edwards' class. And well, maybe I shouldn't say her class. <laughs> she is a wonderful clinical psychologist who uh, writes, you may have seen on CNN or Washington Post, and now has a podcast called Baggage Check. And it's excellent. So those are, uh, I think, the primary things. In addition to, you know, like I, when I'm watching TV, I will often watch what can be, you know, junk TV like Willow uh, is honestly the most recent thing that I've watched. Sorry, <laughs> I, I didn't mean to be pejorative if anyone worked on Willow. But it's not something that I think necessarily feeds my brain, although I did enjoy it a lot. So I don't actually watch that much television. I used to watch, because I was a film studies major, so I would watch sometimes two, three movies a day. Um, I rarely watch movies anymore. It's mostly just a function of time. I work, I have dinner, we have the dog, so I, I take care of her, and then it's like eight, nine by the time she goes to sleep and I have a couple hours, which I usually spend reading and sleeping and then repeating. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, to and, and I like the honesty, with which I think you talked about the distraction of social media in a way that I think we probably all subscribe to in the same way, but we're not all as as honest in our reflection. And, you know, and also perhaps it, as we talk about it, I'm thinking just in terms of the capacity for more soul and heart plug in that we can be doing in these directions, which I know myself, like I would like to, I would like to know that I was pointing myself deeper into, you know, imbibing in these storytelling and, and, and you know, the richness of culture and, and those sorts of things. But often enough, I'm on my iPad or yeah. whatever it happens to be like chasing down a, a box score <laughs> or whatever, you know, so for a craft podcast, I mean, let's be honest, like distractions yeah. are a big part, particularly when you're a freelance writer and you're over on the side and it's not your main gig. It's a big part of trying to figure out like how to stay productive, like in the, in, in the mix of, of that undefined, you know, um, uh, progress forward. So I, so I like that you uncovered that in a helpful way. So here's another question. It kind of tracks differently with different practices. I find, and, and you know, we knew each other, we were sure. both in the film studies program at Yale and, you know, I find writers can go in a lot of different ways, but we, t we do tend to be insular. We do tend to be focused. We do tend to be a little bit, you know, pulled into ourselves. Um, but community is still such an important process in, in developing craft. So what does that look like for you? And what, what either stumblings or successes that you found in establishing and maintaining a sense of creative community recently or, or in the last 10 years or anything like that? What, what does that feel like for you? That's an excellent question. And it, it has been, I would say, probably my biggest challenge in my career. People don't believe me. You may not believe me hearing me talk on this podcast, but I'm very introverted. I would even say almost like an extreme introvert. So my like basis is to like not reach out and connect with anyone. 
Um, and I would say like from a career perspective, that's one thing I wish I would have invested more in and done more in, but I don't regret it because I kind of am who I am. And sometimes being insular is what makes me happy. So I would say that this is not a strength for me, but things that I have done, as introverted as I am, I do really enjoy conversations with people. I do enjoy a sense of community, but I've been very bad at proactively starting it. But once I like get invited or I'm involved in a group, like you, you can't shut me up. So <laughs> things that, you know, honestly have made me closest with people are just very human things, you know, uh, having lunch with people, going out to drinks afterwards. Uh, sharing their work, you know, offering to read other people's writing, having them read mine, and then following up with like drinks or, you know, just a phone call. It's obviously been a little more challenging this last couple of years. I, this was the kind of thing I would engage in regularly, like a couple of times a month, I would actively do things outside of my career where I would just like get together and talk with other writers or engage with them, certainly about art. I'm not involved in any sort of guild or anything like that, nor have I ever been. Um, that's probably also something that would have been good for me. But I, I would say like, I, I don't have any like strong best practices other than just trying to connect with people on a personal level. I am very curious. So I love it when people ask, you know, I'm working on this novel or screenplay. Will you read it? I, I love that because I love to read uh, what they're writing, learn more about that and also about the people. But I don't do, I don't ever do the same thing. Like I never, I really, really rarely <laughs> will ask people to engage with my stuff. So if I had advice, I would say to, from a career perspective to 23 year old Robert um, graduating Yale, because I failed first grade, which is a different story. <laughs> <laughs> I would say try to invest more in that from a career perspective. And, and I, sure, I think yeah. it really is, as far as I can tell, as someone who is admittedly not good at this, it really is just those human connections. I mean, things like organizations and groups, I'm sure help, but you can join all the organizations you want. And if you just go to the meetings and stand in the corner, it's probably not going to help you a lot. And I say that last part from experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's and and again, I I do think it's a fairly common element of a creative writer to have at least some portion of their personality be very much you know turned down and in, and and sometimes it can be hard to pull oneself back out. So no, that's it, 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 it's good to underline that as well. So tell me more about your track that got you to where you, what you're doing now. You went in this user experience, user interface mm -hmm. kind of direction but you brought your writing with you, which that, that is a common way to segue. But like, tell us more about the, the steps that got you down those pathways in your big career. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, graduated Yale degree film studies, moved out to Los Angeles because I wanted to work in film. My first job was for a film company called Artisan, which had just released a movie that people I think still remember called The Blair Witch Project, which I, they had just launched like a month before. So they were interesting to me. It was just a floating admin. Um, but quickly, I got kind of pulled into the development circle. So I was starting to read scripts and doing notes. I mean, I wasn't making decisions. I was just <laughs> during internal coverage, I guess, would yeah. be 
the best way to say it. And this was, I will have to date myself. So this was, uh, we were class in 99. I don't, not to out yeah. you, Derek. You, you, did, you did say Blair Witch. So I think we were there. Yeah, damn it. Damn it. <laughs> Which and, many people say is one of the greatest years of American cinema in history. But Phantom like, Menace. I mean, you know, how can you not? I mean, no, I, I, the, the list goes much deeper than Phantom yeah, Menace. <laughs> no, I actually, you know, if anyone wants to do a deep dive on me, I have a film, a YouTube clip defending the Phantom Menace, which is partially in, in jest, but I actually this do is like a, it. This is an entirely different episode that we'll have, but it's worth it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that was about the time the internet was sort of blowing up. And I've always been interested in technology. I was programming when I was, I remember when I was four, and I think that's accurate. Like I would read like these books. I don't even know if I could read them, but we had a VIC-20. I've done the math about when we had the VIC-20, and I think I was like in the four to six range. So I've always been interested in computers. But when I became a teenager, I, while I still gamed and stuff, I wasn't really doing development. I switched over to writing and filming video. So this was 2000. I moved over to a startup, which was an entertainment startup called firstlook.com, which back at that time had like 10,000, I think the number was 10,000 streaming clips, mostly trailers for movies. We were doing original production for video games. We were starting to do cars. It was really exciting. Um, you know, when I was like very early in my career, I was like managing a team, I think of like 20 people. You know, it ramped it very quickly, doing production in terms of data entry, but also uh, video production in terms of trailers. Like we would literally have people play video games, record it, and then create trailers because that was not something that the studios put out. Now, of course, they all have very well produced uh, trailers. So it was really fun. They didn't really have a great business model. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I know there were a lot of macroeconomic issues during that time also, but that company lasted about a year and a half. And then went under. And I think they were like 30 when I started. I think they got up to like 150 in terms of headcount and then down to like 30 and they were gone. So I moved over to a company called Go. Actually, it was called Go2.com. Not to be confused as Go.com, which was purchased by Disney, which then became Overture, which did paid search advertising. There's actually a good book by John Batille called The Search, which is about the history of search. They're kind of a footnote now. But they actually invented and patented the paid search model, which Google infringed upon and ended with a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar, I think, settlement in terms of using their business model. But anyways, that was a job that used my writing capabilities because I was doing paid search campaigns for people. So I was a client would come in and ask. Hey, I want to spend 20,000, 100,000, whatever dollars per month. I would identify what keywords they should target and what their ad should say. So it was a writing gig. It wasn't entertainment. Didn't love it. I was there for a year. I mean, it was, it was fine, but it was, it was the same thing multiple times every day. So I took a year off. And because they got bought by Yahoo. So I had a little headroom in terms of, you know, Yahoo Ben actually was doing well. Yeah, very well. Yeah. Everything was Yahoo. Yeah. Uh, so that took a year off, wrote the novel about Yale, which professionally was probably the best year of my life. We're now, that was now 20 years ago. So I'm sure I'm looking at it back with some rose colored glasses. But I just love that because, first of all, I didn't know as, 20, as, you know, as a relatively young person, I guess I was 27, whether I would have the discipline to sit down every day and write. And to my great surprise, I was. I would like wake up every morning. I didn't drink coffee then, but sit outside often in the backyard and just write, write and write until the end of the day, like five, six, and then check out. So that was really great. I love that. But I ran out of money. So <laughs> I uh, had a, a coworker from Overture 
who was now at Disney. So I had a year where I worked for a company called Deluxe, which was in the entertainment company. They were a film processing lab, but this was, uh, I worked for them in a digital asset management. This is kind of a weird career cul-de-sac, shall we Mm. say, in that there was really just helping them with asset management. Originally, like literally just like tracking individual assets in terms of film reels and videotapes mostly. But, you know, I was pretty good at like the process thinking. So I basically pitched them, hey, can I basically do an internal consulting role where I will try and help digitally your processes and then actually write the software to do so? I had to educate myself a lot in terms of the writing, but I had in my long distant past reference experience doing software creation. So that was interesting because there are a lot of skills that are similar between writing software and writing for people. Certainly, again, if you think about it in terms of information and communication, you're not communicating with a human, you're communicating with a computer, but there are many ways to do it. So some of those muscles are the same. And that was interesting, but ultimately, and and I'm pretty good at software development, but like in terms of like actually coding, but it's not like my passion. So a friend at Overture. So um, I was like, this sounds great because she was a writer for Disney. But the term then is copywriter. Their titles kind of are carryover from advertising agencies. So very few people use that term copywriter anymore in terms of digital UX stuff, user experience stuff, sometimes on the advertising side, certainly, but uh, not so much in terms of like for designing the words in software. So this was, I believe it was 2006. I jumped over to there. So this is a year before the iPhone. The internet, you know, is still pretty new in terms of like these massive corporations. It was probably, you know, probably six, seven years in. So it's really exciting. I love new technology. And I think that kind of guides the rest of my career. I love working on problems that are unsolved. And my core skill is English and writing. I'm pretty good at film and video stuff as well. But even then, thinking through information, how it lays out, if you think about coding software and working in Final Cut, you're often making, which is a video editing software, you're often making the same decisions about what information to convey, how to convey it, what to convey to people. So I worked at Disney for 15 years. It was in their theme park division. And, you know, that was great because I worked through a progression of new technologies, you know, from the smartphone, things like Apple TV, Apple Watch, iPad, you know, all these new emerging technologies came and then they became mature. So after 15 years there, I decided to move to Meta, where I am now in the Reality Labs organization. So again, working on newer software patterns and, and, and changes. But during that whole stretch of my career, which is now 16 years, what I do primarily is write. Like it's English. It's about communicating with people. You know, at Disney, we did everything from the actual helping people through a ticket purchasing flow, describing Pirates of the Caribbean. Very, very different in some ways, but the core skill is that craft. Can you communicate this information to people in words as efficiently as possible? And, and especially at Disney, not just, but true anywhere, not just in terms of the cold calculation, this is the information. This is the, it doesn't, when I say efficiency, I don't just mean the minimum amount of words. What is the best way to do it? What's the most human way to do it? What is the way that will achieve whatever emotional or practical goal that you're aiming for? Yeah, I I liked what you'd said before about 
as a if you, we think about this as being an element of craft that you carry with you, it's something that you know you can't turn off because it's it's it is like a fundamental, right? Like, how does one communicate? How does one you know take an idea and turn that idea into words that then can be absorbed and and can condition a response? I, I like that you know that's something that's you know carried all the way from doing coding but data and but now now what was called copywriting and now they're calling it ui you know like like it's it's i love that there's like a there, yeah. a, a consistency that your story and the skills that you carry with you and these interests that you carry with you have been the same even though the world has changed yeah. you know from yes. from blairwitz blairwitz yeah. project to today right <laughs> so yeah yeah it, it, it's funny, like I, I had a manager once ask me like, hey, what's the, the newest thing happening in copywriting? And I was like, I was kind of like step back because I was like, well, English has basically been the same for like what? I mean, you may know more <laughs> about this than me, Eric, Derek, but like 400 years, you know, like the language itself doesn't evolve. Techniques for communication evolve, but not at the pace of like technology. So it is the same core skill, I would say, if you took me from 15 years ago and put me in place, now you'd have to explain to me a lot of the new technology, but I think a lot of the core skills would remain. But the titles, and I, I skipped over this part, but the titles have evolved. Like it was copywriter, which was fairly standard back then. Then you would get things like user experience writer. Now it's content design involves a little bit more than just writing, but in many instances, the core skill is writing. You're working with a product designer generally who is involved with the designing the visual aspects and like overall flow and structure, although content design and that have a big overlap. But I would say the core skill is, is writing the same thing, you know, honestly, the same thing you learn doing essays, you know, your junior year <laughs> at Yale University um, or college. Um, like that kind of critical thinking, humanities, yes is extremely, extremely important in technology. You hear that, Yaleys? They're teaching us the good stuff. <laughs> they are. So they true. Are. Um, okay, so let's take a break there. Um, we'll come back around. Um, we'll, we'll pin it and uh, come back around with some more advice from, from Rob in, in different directions. But uh, this has been fantastic so far, and I look forward to coming back around. Thanks, sir. Well, that's it for our first episode back. I hope you enjoyed it and look forward to coming back around next week to finish our conversation with Rob Rowan. Until then, don't be afraid to use the word career and always stay crafty.